listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White. Joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Look, this is um, one of the last episodes we're going to record uh, within 2023. I think it'll probably be released um, in the new year. But, you know, it just has that end-of-year feel, Jeff. You know? <laughs> yes, it does. Along with all of the uh, the audio hiccups you expect as you're just kind of trying to record some episodes before going to the holidays. Yeah, it's like it's not just the host, but also the equipment that has apparently been on the bourbon and eggnogs maybe a bit too much or something. <laughs> I think it's because we lent our uh, patch cords to the DJ for the Kula Christmas party. And, uh, uh, you know, who kn- they're still wishing they were back doing that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the highest and best use for the patch cord. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So they, they wish they were on the road. For yeah. sure. So I'm, I'm excited for today's t- uh, chat. I, I think the... Um, uh, what. I guess there's been, a, and this has um, been pervasive, you know, kind of throughout my career, it feels like it keeps kind of coming back, this notion of getting closer to the customer and taking that, you know, how, how do you deliver um, uh, customer experiences in new ways? And um, that's why I'm just so excited for today's guest. I think we're just we're, they're doing some some great things that are bringing their brand closer to the customer, and I think it's something that a lot of manufacturers can listen to, listen to and learn from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited about it too. So let's get right into it. So joining us today is Nick Baranowski. Nick is the marketing director at Keystone Technologies. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Nick. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate being here. Uh, a little jealous you guys have to send me some of that eggnog, apparently. I like the bourbon taste in that, so you'll have to send that down. Uh, happy to be here. Look, I've got to tell you, as a little bit of a holiday note, being up here on the east coast of Canada, it's a bit of a rum country here, right? Like, I mean, uh, all the rum runners from back in the day bringing legal rum into into Atlantic Canada, so it's a bit of a nostalgic thing, and therefore you're kind of brought up to drink your eggnog with rum. But the second you switch to the bourbon, you realize that you folks down in the States, you've got something figured out there. It uh, beats rum hands down in the eggnog. I'm a little uh, partial to it, but that's okay. I'll let you guys enjoy it. Either way is good with me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, sir. Well, look, uh, Nick, it's great to be chatting. Let's start by giving our listeners a bit of an overview of uh, Keystone and um, how you ended up there. Yeah, great. Uh, Keystone is, uh, was founded in 1945. We're a third generation privately held, uh, company. We are a lighting manufacturer. Uh, we service commercial and residential, uh, lighting goods into, uh, mostly the electrical distribution market, but the overall construction, uh, space, uh, really great story. I'll give you the short version, uh, three generations ago, uh, somebody came back from world war two. Uh, founder was looking for work to do, went to a hardware store and said, what are you guys having trouble with? What's hard for you? Uh, and they said, hey, there's this thing called a fluorescent ballast, uh, this new thing, fluorescent lighting's out, and we can't find them. Uh, and took off from there. He started his own little shop at his house, started to manufacture them. Uh, his cousin was an engineer, so they started to build them themselves. Uh, fast forward, next generation takes over, LED expansion happens. Uh, third generation comes into play. We start expanding even more. Uh, and now we're uh, providing lighting solutions all across the United States to distrib- distribution contractors uh, and specifiers across the United States. 
That's a really I cool story. That. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, I mean, it's a tough space. The people that you're trying to sell to, that you're trying to get in front of, man, like there's an awful lot of people that want their attention and um, they don't seem to be all that keen to give it. Um, that, that, that really must you know, be at the heart of, of, of why you've, you're, you're doing what you're doing from a mobile customer experience perspective. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, a lot of manufacturers like us, uh, we consider ourselves like a B to B to B to C, right? So by the time it's in a final one, there's a few legs there. Uh, and being one manufacturer, obviously, there's plenty of other lighting manufacturers in the market too, buying. Uh, and then to your point, you try to go to the person you're trying to sell into their branch to get to the next level of the customer uh, and even influence them. And they have wire customers and lighting customers and plumbing customers. And you're one of maybe 300 or some uh, vendors that they have to have on their shelves for their customers. So getting their attention uh, is very hard. Uh, you have to have purpose. You have to have reason. And most importantly, you have to have timing uh, and their needs vary. So trying to find that perfect space uh, is what led us to the creation of something we're going to talk today uh, about where I'm sitting today in Keystone Live and Keystone Live on tour, our kind of mobile version uh, of where I am today. So tell us a bit about the kind of the, the impetus for or the creation uh, of this space and, and what you're doing with it. So I have to rewind back. Uh, I came here a little over three years ago uh, in the middle of this great thing called the COVID pandemic. If you guys remember what that was right now, you guys talked about and a year that's kind of spiking uh, in different units again. And what we found in our industry was really this unprecedented uh, closure of doors, uh, where our business is very much uh, kind of a people business, a partnership business, uh, and that kind of building of relationships uh, is key. And our organization found ourselves where they said, you can't come in uh, just because, you know, that's what the government was requiring in different areas. Uh, and we said, well, how can we get to customers, especially in a uh, in a landscape where a lot of people like to touch and feel a product, right? That's what has them understand what it actually is. So a lot of this kind of, hey, see my sample, uh, kind of door-to-door -door sales became a barrier. Uh, and we quickly said, well, how can we get around that? What can we do? And we came up with two solutions. Uh, one is we actually build out an entire showroom uh, inside, which I'm in right now. Uh, and what you can't see, but what's in front of me right now is we kind of took a hospital type setup of a motorized uh, power unit with video and audio uh, gear and a gimbal with a remote phone uh, and allowed us to in essence build out our space with every product we would want to take to a customer that allows us to come and grab it and walk up close to any product that we service and have and have them ask questions to get as close as we could get it, that hands-on feel without actually being able to put something in front of them. Uh, but then we found that that still created some barriers. So we ended up building out five mobile units. So what's behind me kind of packed into a unit that we can drive around and do. And our barrier there was, well, if we can't come inside, but we're allowed to be outside, we can also bring our products to where you are in an environment that allows customers to kind of see and feel things at the same time. And boy, is that growth. We started with one unit, we're up to five. Uh, and now even post pandemic, it's proven to be a true uh, game changer. And we've seen a other companies start to do that same type of mobile experience uh, to try to meet the customers where they are. So are we talking about like a, are we like a sprinter vans type of setup? Is it a big 18-wheeler? What is this mobile uh, the mobile experience contained in? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, actually. Uh, 
something that we had a lot of debate about, right? There's pros and cons, and there's really big budgets for 18-wheelers. Uh, sprinter vans sometimes get a little too small. We have a really big portfolio. So what we actually have are uh, tow-behind trucks, and we have about an 18. Uh, we have 16-foot units and 20-foot units. They're, in essence, a, a huge stand-in trailer that's been converted into a trade show unit that tows behind a unit so you can pull up. Uh, into a facility like a K through 12 high school, you can pull up into a hospital, or you can pull up in front of a distributor location who's maybe stocking a plethora of products and is having a lot of contractors and customers come through uh, and all experience the product. So that mobility uh, and kind of size was really something that we had to pay attention to because the first thing was saying, where does it need to be, right? Because uh, sometimes those 18 wheelers are really cool and they're exciting, but all of a sudden like, hey, you can't get around the corner to show guy in the city uh anything so that doesn't really become quite viable at that point yeah that's a great point i'm curious um it, it, i mean i'm sure that the percentage kind of varies a bit but as you're bringing these kind of mobile showrooms to the customer what rough what's the rough split from you know targeting it at the at distributors and kind of uh, kind of trying to catch a, a lot of, of contractor level folks at the distributor versus going to the uh, going to them directly, maybe on a job site or what have you, versus the educational component that you mentioned. I'm just kind of curious about those different uses and kind of how it breaks down. Yeah, if you had to you know put that in a in a total kind of view, I would say you know at a core big customer location where people multiple people would be coming through, it's probably around fifty percent of the traffic that we have. Uh, then I would say we have probably about 20% of that is direct at a specific customer location where maybe there's a whole team or it's a contractor and it's, hey, bring it to my whole team before they leave for the day, uh, you can go there. Uh, we have another about 15% where it actually travels to regional trade shows. Uh, so we also bring it into kind of shows that maybe don't require the big budget of building an entire booth and a setup, but uh, you don't really just want a table set up as well. allows us to kind of enhance that experience a little bit. Uh, and then the rest of it's kind of just general training where maybe ad hoc locations. That's a nice little hack on the trade show too. It gives you some presence out in the parking lot rather than just having to wait for them to get into the into the show itself. In the right situation, that could work pretty well. Actually even uh, brought it into shows and used it as the booth. Uh, oh, you nice, nice. They're eight foot tall. They have a door that drops down with two entry points. Uh, again, some of the sprinter vans, the challenge there was, hey, do you want to use it for a trade show? Oh, yeah, sure. Let me get a line and have people walk into a crowded box, <laughs> stand around with people, and then walk out of a crowd. It didn't really work. So it kind of gave that nice opportunity there as well. Uh, not to knock the smaller unit, we are looking at uh, adding another. So we do have some territories that are very dense and urban, and we've gotten some feedback that that actually the size of what we have actually makes it a little hard to get into those niche locations. So we are looking for like a compact version as well for more of those dense urban environments. And how many kind of geographical areas are you covering with these five units that you have now? Like how, how far is that spreading you out? Uh, coast to coast. Uh, so we have uh, five units in tour at 365 throughout the year. Uh, obviously seasonality. Uh, comes in effect, not too many people want to be outside walking through a unit if it's uh, two feet of snow on the ground. Uh, but we kind of operate all the way around the continuous U.S. Uh, coast to coast throughout the year. Seems to me like, um, you know, this is really just an extension of that, you know, the factory tour and those kind of really high-touch experiences, which are, are typically delivered either to customers that you're trying to deepen a relationship with, 
and maybe gain more share of wallet or prospects that are in those very late stages of a buying process. But it would seem to me that as we make this a more mobile experience, it would allow us to get in front of prospects at an earlier stage in the cycle. Has that been your experience? Yeah, I would say uh, petting the customer, that's absolutely true. Uh, and I think the good thing of what we've built is, uh, you know, we didn't launch with just one, right? Uh, I think our purpose when we looked at what we were going to do is we said, hey, we have a corporate office. We enhanced that tour experience. We need a virtual experience like this uh, for maybe a very short time window or maybe people who don't have the opportunity to travel. And then we need another unit where we can go to them. So. Uh, I think what we've found is that those mobile units and having all three of those experiences allows us to do exactly what you said, right? It allows us to get in front of the early thought of a purchase uh, person when they're in that kind of like evaluation stage. Uh, we can say, hey, listen, we can do a quick 30-minute thing. We're not going to fly you all the way out here to do this big hoopla tour. Let us give you a taste, right? And then we can do that virtual or we can bring it to you. Then you get a little bit more interested then you can really come in and get that full sample. So I think to your point, the other element that it helps you do is really kind of qualify that lead a little bit more, right? Uh, the, the come and see our kind of corporate facility is a great experience, uh, typically a home run, typically a little hesitant to bring a whole team out here and rather expensive too, if you wanna kind of cover some of those costs or kind of do entertainment while you're here. So trying that evaluation of, is that person really qualified or at the point that they really need that deep dive or is that happening too early kind of in that buyer's journey has also uh, given us some good ability to kind of tease those elements out. Have you found, like, is anybody calling you up asking for you to send the mobile unit? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so something we're trying to solve right now is, you know, we launched and thought like, Hey, this is great. You can give it to your sales team and they can make their appointments and go. And uh, now also you get your sales team going, everybody wants it, but the sales guy wants it. All the customers who have heard about it want it. And, uh, you know, they want it next week. They want it here. Uh, so now we're actually kind of more in a scheduling. We need to enhance our ability to kind of schedule and plan out and architect kind of where will it be when. Uh, it started very opportunistic and it's so uh, such in high demand now that we kind of have to find ways to expand them as well as kind of do a better operational uh, execution throughout the states. Man, the joy of uh, overnight success, eh? Yeah, exactly. That's a great problem to have to try to solve, I think. You know, it's um, it's something that I think a lot of marketers maybe skip past or they don't think about a lot um, in this space. But I think part of what we do as marketers when we're doing our job most effectively in the manufacturing space is giving salespeople both something to talk about, the confidence to talk about it, the excuse to talk about it, like they're inherently pretty good at building relationships and having conversations, and sometimes they just need an excuse to do so. And it sounds as though, you know, when I hear about all oh, the salespeople are clamoring to want these mobile units in their in their region or at their customer locations, that's just basically what they're telling you is they, you know, they found it a great thing to talk about. Yeah, and I agree. You know, I think uh, I really view marketing as a service, right? You're a service to either your internal customers, your sales folks, or your service to their customer. And I view marketing as your whole goal is identify what the customer wants to talk about, how they want to talk about it, and what they want to see, right? And that perfect mix of kind of solving that, right? We think about it with SEO evaluations of online, right? It's got to be the right word. You want to get them to the right place as quick as possible. 
I think this is no different. If your customers want to touch and feel something, how do you allow them to do an experience? Uh, we have a lot of other programs in our company too. We do a lot of free samples. We'll ship a sample to somebody, but there's that level then where you talk about that buyer journey where it's, hey, I saw it, but now I want to talk about it. Uh, so putting those two together is kind of way you want to execute that type of unit. Uh, and I think salespeople screaming for it is that. It's them saying, you've given me something that allows me to have the right conversations with different customers at the same time. Um, give it to me, right? And then, okay, well, now let me make sure that you're giving it to the right customer at the right time and let me help you vet some of that out uh, becomes the next challenge. Every uh, every salesperson is going to get a mobile showroom, Jeff. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah, for Christmas, you get one and you get one. <laughs> but I, I do think though, you know, there there's this there's this wonderful notion of kind of getting back to the physical with this. You know, it, it feels even better than like, hey, we've gone back to trade shows. It, it's more like, no, we've gone back on our own terms and we're doing this in a way that really enables us to tell the message we want to tell in the way that we want to tell it while showcasing the products right in front of people. Have you digitally enabled this at the same time uh, from a marketing and sales perspective? Yeah, uh, I would say that's been a, a debate that we are still ongoing and having. Um, I think what we've seen as a trend, especially as some software becomes uh, an easier entry point is kind of, hey, why don't you just take your whole showroom why don't you map it out with some really great software and have someone to be able to tap it and get your spec sheet and kind of do it themselves, right? Um, we're exploring that as a potential, but I think what we found right now is that part of the benefit here is the live engagement, right? It's the interactive nature that happens outside of digitization. So if you're sitting here and you say, well, I have a question on that, or until we get to the point where you can have that kind of live engagement while somebody is virtually doing it themselves. Um, we still think this kind of huge touch point is an important part of that, but de definitely evaluating uh, maybe how that would be done or doing that as kind of a subset in that kind of buyer's journey to figure out maybe somebody needs a little something more. Uh, so that's still in the roadmap for us. I'd be uh, interested to know, because uh, you've said you, you've built five of them now, correct? Yep. So I'm pretty sure that by the time the third one rolled around or fourth, you were you would learn some lessons, uh, things that you wish you had done in the first one or the second one. Uh, I'm curious what those lessons are. Sure. Uh, top things. Top things we wish we would have done the first time. <laughs> My goodness, hold on. I'll, I'll get out that list. Uh, <laughs> this long. Um, yeah. Uh, I so I have some experience in uh, telecom, a lot of kind of experiential marketing, uh, mobile marketing well but i think when it came into this kind of manufacturing space uh big kind of hiccups that we learned uh along the way one is uh training 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 for the sales team and operations right i think there's some people that say like hey i've i've done i've driven a car or i've towed a camper before and all of a sudden you're saying like hey well now you're going to set up this whole mobile experience yourself um a lot of the things that we found uh, us sprinting on in the first year or so introduction is like, man, how do we make that easier for a guy who maybe has never done some type of mobile uh, marketing before, right? They're now responsible for plugging in, setting up, putting out the materials. Where do the materials go, right? Like we thought we had everything perfectly packaged, but I think a lot is just kind of training, getting from your people. What would you do if you just got this, right? And then we are like, oh, well, you don't know how to set up a tent. You don't know how to set up some of these things. So some things that just seemed really basic where not that they can't set up a tent, right? But 
from a marketing side to get the branding exactly right, to get the layout right. Uh, I think we needed a lot better documentation in that. Uh, and then the second was just operations. Um, we thought we could kind of say, hey, we could do this and leave it a little loose. Uh, we really found that you need somebody dedicated uh, to go and, and kind of just manage operationally where it's going, who's getting it next, what's the giveaway, what's the lead capture from it. We had that uh, very separated at first with kind of the different people who would be in charge of that role, if you would. And what we found is that creates a lot more confusion of, well, who's doing this and where is that happening? Uh, so I'd say, you know, don't underestimate the importance of a dedicated resource just for managing it. Sometimes like, is that all they're going to do all day? But man, the amount of things in there. Uh, and then the third was we talked about size evaluation. Now we found the right size, right, for what we needed from a tour experience. And then we quickly found out, well, you got so big that you now need to be a DOT certified vehicle. And that comes with a lot of additional uh, elements and legalities around it too. So, you know, that kind of like run and walk. Uh, sometimes I would say, you know, make sure your operational plan's there. Make sure you have appropriate resourcing for it. Make sure you have training pre-lined up before you kind of get it into the market. Um, you know, our, our tagline here at Keystone is like made easy, but we try to carry that through everything that we do. Uh, and I think that we found out that we had a lot of improvements to make to make everything easy for our internal customers as well as our external customers. Sounds like it's a good idea for somebody heading down this path to um, be eyes wide open that that first year there are going to be some kinks and, uh, uh, and just lean into them and understand that they're coming versus be surprised. Yeah. Yep. And don't freak out, right? Like, your hair's on not fire, the, the world's burning, we can't do it anymore. So not, there's a challenge, you bump into them in every every kind of new rollout that you do. So, uh, and I would say, you know, there's a lot of organizations out there that kind of do this. You can go to a third-party organization and say, hey, will you run my mobile tour? Um, I think a company has to look really hard at kind of the cost and what they want to execute. And do you want to lean on kind of a third-party resource to do that? We found that we wanted to kind of test a bunch of areas and test different setups and displays. And we had a lot of ability to do that internally with rapid iteration, a lot better than we did at cost than immediately going out to kind of a third party and saying, hey, we want to do it, you build it, you run it uh, and go. So uh, kind of key decision I think you have to make early on. Mm. And I have to think too, you know, you're nothing like that is going to survive contact with the enemy the first couple of times. So, you know, you're going to have those learnings that if you then have to go back to somebody and have it rebuilt or reconfigured, that that just makes it very, uh, very difficult to justify and, and want to do probably. Yeah, I would say that's definitely hidden under that, uh, hey, what's your resource and operation plan? Uh, you know, here we just this past year, we've come out with 320 new products. Uh, so the evaluation of the unit, when can it get changed out? When it's upgraded with your latest good, how is that happening? Who's actually doing the installation, where it's going? A lot of those elements are kind of that back-end learning lesson where it's like, hey, we got it, go. Well, a year later, a year and a half later, hopefully you guys have something new to talk about, right? You want to go back, see another customer. What is that upgrade process? Uh, we actually, to your point, just had a conversation yesterday about, you know, we never really sat down and evaluated the end of life cycle. And what does that look for? How long do we expect a particular unit to last, uh, right? It's driving around continuous US. Is that a five-year life expectancy plan where we should be budgeting for that uh, early on is definitely something that we're kind of learning from as well. How have you 
how have you found this kind of compares to what you see the competition doing? Um, uh, and what has been the customer response? Yeah, um, I, I would like to say uh, copycat is the best part of flattery. Um, I would say when we first launched both of these units, uh, I would say I had not seen really our competition doing anything close to it. Uh, I think the closest thing I found was a lot of manufacturing places having training centers um, that came in or doing webinars. And I think this was like that in between ground that really hadn't been done before. Um, year one, we got a lot of notoriety, uh, a lot of kind of press came out of it as well. A lot of earned media uh, from people seeing it and saying it was great. Uh, our customers, uh, our competitors rapidly involved. And I would say now we see probably 30 to 40% of our core competitors doing something similar uh, and trying to get it in. Uh, and I would say at different scales, some take different approaches of an 18 wheeler versus Sprinter van, like you said. Um, so I think we see, we take that as, hey, it has to work because what we actually found is our customers were going to other vendors and saying, Keystone came by and did this and man, our customers loved it. Do you guys have something like that? Uh, and they didn't at the time. So we, you know, I think the customer demand for it kind of introduced a new segment, at least in our space, where uh, I see a lot of our competitors kind of quickly trying to ramp up to do something similar. And for, and for us, that now pushes us of what's the next thing, right? How do you continue to enhance the experience, which we began doing some work on uh, just improving engagements, maybe improving interactions. Uh, and I'd like to say we have the head starts, so we have some of the learnings, and as long as we're kind of putting them back in the machine to churn out to re-enhance that experiential experience, uh, that we'll stay in the lead there. So we just have to keep improving, right? You can't get stagnant and say, hey, it worked, just run it for seven years, it's gonna keep working. Uh, every six months or so, we look at it and say, what do we have to change uh, to make it better? I think that's important learning too, because there's um, you know, an awful lot of folks would see competitors coming on board and doing something similar and think, oh, wow, they're catching up. But they only catch up if you stand still. If you keep evolving that experience, then those learnings that you get along the way, um, uh, they're going to find it awfully hard to, to catch up. Yeah, I will say uh, one thing I personally struggle with, uh, but I think has helped me in this process is I like to have all my things lined up, right? Well, hey, we don't want to introduce that experience until we can get the leads in. We can't get the leads in until we have it connected to our CRM system. We can't connect it to our CRM system until we have an automation plan for re-engagement afterwards. Uh, and I found that these type of experiences have so many different touch points and engagements. You really have to start with the plan to react, right? So it sounds a little different than just do something and then react and figure out what to do. But if you start knowing, I'm gonna learn, I have to react fast, we have to iterate, we have to be flexible, uh, I think that's been our biggest key to success, right? Start small with the one, get the learning, introduce two or three, get the learning, grow, now figure out how to connect systems. Because uh, at first I would have said, we probably would have done a lot of work that wasn't right. Uh, because what customers were engaging weren't really that funnel input that we thought at first, right? At first it was a lot of kind of purchaser decisions, not their customer engagements. Now that we've expanded, we have new customers coming. so new touch points, new automations, a lot of other things that we have to evaluate now. But start small and use it as like Lego blocks as opposed to saying, I know exactly what that journey is meant to be, so make it happen. Uh, I think you'll find a lot better success that way as well. It's almost taking a, a page out of the SaaS 
song sheet a little bit and just, you know, the idea of kind of release frequently and iterate and take feedback rather than wait until you have the perfect app or what have you, you know, it's a bit of that sort of thinking that you're employing there. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially at least for me, when it gets into customer experience, you kind of drop some of the learnings that you have as a core marketer, right? Most marketers, when we think about it, we say, Hey, do you want to do some ads? Well, yeah, I'm not throwing my whole budget. I'm going to do a test group. Did it perform? Did it not perform? Uh, and then you get into mobile experience, you might go like, oh, this is a big investment, so we have to get it perfect, right? And you still need that, hey, we're going to learn from it, we're going to test, and we're going to grow. Uh, just maybe a little bit more upfront cost that you have to think through when that happens. You got me thinking of something there earlier, and I don't know if there's a there, there or not, but I'm going to ask anyway to see if there is. It would seem that maybe the earliest people that will experience something like this when you create it are probably those customers that like you the most. I mean, in some way, they're the customers that the salespeople will be most excited to show them the new toy or, or what have you, right? And I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of I'm just rattling around in my mind this notion of maybe the customers that you're learning from in the early part of the experience aren't the same type of customer that you're actually trying to reach on the prospect stage. You know what I mean? Like, you have to learn from those early things, but also recognize that the person you're talking to might be a different person. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I would say that I think we found that exact thing. Uh, you know, who is the customer that's engaging with you at what point? Uh, and kind of going through and saying, that's not exactly who I thought it was. Uh, hey, there's a new influencer that we didn't really know about. This guy followed up with us with questions and then, the customer who we thought made all the decision called us the day later. Um, I think we found more about where the influencer in the life cycle was a lot more than we thought we would have. I guess uh, we, we've already kind of covered, you know, this idea that you're you're constantly thinking of the next thing and how are you going to integrate new products? And that is a massive number of new products to launch and, uh, and also promote via a mobile offering, I have to say. But, uh, you know, so you're clearly thinking down the road with this, but what are you most excited about for 2024? Uh, I'm really excited for that kind of uh, enhanced engagement, right? What are we doing to make it even more memorable for our customer's customer? Because I think that's, you know, getting in front of your customer is great. Getting in front of your customer's customer creates the pull through. And I think that's the next part that we're really focused on is how do we take our tool and now extend our tool from our sales team to our customer sales team. Uh, we've started to find a lot of success for that. That requires, you know, different kind of engagement a little bit, kind of different experience of why do they want to come and see it, right? Sometimes there needs to be some type of prize or engagement opportunity in there or even just communication around it. Uh, I'm really excited to, to, to see that as it comes. And, uh, you did just mention one part, uh, that's an important consideration of maybe any marketer doing this. That's sales alignment. Uh, we have roughly 7,000 SKUs uh, inside of our system. Uh, small for, for some manufacturing companies that get into the hundreds of thousands. But you imagine going into your sales team saying, hey, I'm going to create a mobile sales unit for you that has everything in it. What's everything, right? Um, and uh, we started, uh, when I first came, even in our trade shows, some of our our key kind of sales influencers were, we need the version, the physical version of everything displayed. 
doesn't matter if it looks exactly the same, if it's a, a little bit different here or a little bit different there, we have to show everything or else the customer won't understand. So getting that kind of core product solution set down into what you could actually contain in that mobile experience probably took us about two and a half months of very deep engagement continuously with our sales, our different sales teams, because we also operate in four different channels. Um, so trying to find that uh, collaboration and negotiation between all the different groups to say, hey, you need to give and take a little bit so we can create this great experience. Um, it was was a big lift, but worth a lot of thought to make sure you have the right thing in there early. Um, that, that was probably the biggest plan. I think that's some great advice, Nick, uh, for the listeners that are looking to maybe um, uh, take this idea and run with it. I'll be curious to um, to hear those from those who do, because I think there's a there's a really big there there, and I'm just uh, incredibly impressed with what you've been able to create. Thanks so much for joining us on the Cooler Ring today, Nick. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I hope that uh, some of the stuff we talked about maybe helps out our marketers there looking at kind of getting a new experience for their customers. And uh, had fun talking with you guys. Ready to dip into some eggnog. Yeah, exactly. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we'll be sure to link up some videos or some stills of your uh, of your space. And uh, so for folks listening, uh, please check it out on the uh, uh, on the on the main Cooler Ring site and we'll uh, we'll get that to you. I think it'll be uh, interesting for people to check out. It's really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. That's coolapartners.com. Thanks so much, Nick. Awesome. Thank you guys. Have a have a great end of the year and enjoy the kickoff the next year. Cheers, Nick. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.